When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and over there in rural Sussex, just emerging from his duvet after the mauling last night by Manchester City, is football finance expert Kieran Maguire. Good morning, Kieran. How are you? I'm, I'm as good as can be expected, Kevin, and you, you can read into that whatever you wish. Uh, we were pants and City were very good. Yeah, I, I was I was slightly annoyed that City declared towards the end. That would have been, that would have been fun. Although, I have to admit, Raheem Sterling, Ed and I laughed for five minutes at Raheem Sterling's lovely-headed goal off the ground. He managed to nutmeg your keeper by heading it through his legs, which doesn't happen very often in football, Kieran. <laughs> um, now, Kieran, it's, it's, it's Monday. It will be when you listen to this pod. Uh, so that's questions day. But first, I did say that we weren't going to let the Wigan story go away. So uh, just a while ago, we spoke to Caroline Molyneux, who's chair of the Wigan Athletic Supporters Association, about the crowdfunding campaign to keep the season going. And this is what she had to say. Caroline, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Yes, not so bad. Thank you. Good point yesterday, really, under the circumstances. Uh, yeah, anything under the circumstances that has the word good in it is <laughs> is to be welcome, isn't it? Um, Caroline, when we first mentioned this story a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kieran raised it, the, uh, the owner selling the club to himself. It, it, it seemed so preposterous, yet harmless. It was like a sort of carry-on film. We actually laughed about it. Kieran used the word shenanigans. But when did you first realise something was going seriously wrong? I think um, we 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 just we'd heard about these new owners and they were going to be new owners for for several months, really. And but that that four week uh, window where they they bought the club and then we ended up in administration. Nothing, no news seemed to surface, and I think. Uh, what happened was on the Wednesday we went into administration, I started to get social media messages from friends and, and saw it on the news. And I was almost in disbelief. But then I got a phone call from the chief executive and as chair of the supporters club, I'd been invited to go into the club on Wednesday afternoon to meet with the administrators. And uh, the premise was that they had to formally offer the football club to the supporters for them to put in an offer to buy. And that's part of Football League rules. And that day was just the most surreal experience I've, I've ever had in my life, never mind football. Um, and that was the time when I just thought, how, how can this be happening? You know, after 
we, we've got this new buyer, something is amiss. And we've sort of joked around over the last week or so that Wigan Athletic fans have all become Hercule Poirot because since <laughs> then, you know, um, since then there's so much being uncovered, uh, lots of it true, lots of it, you know, conjecture, but something, something's gone awry here. You know, it, it, it's something is very murky. Because yeah, you've you've gone into administration almost uniquely without a major list of creditors. It's it's not like you know Kieran and I support teams in Palace and Brighton that we we saw it coming because we knew that the club owed money to people, but this it simply wasn't the case for you like that. So this was really was a bolt out of the blue for you, was it? Absolutely a bolt out of the blue, and and you'll have seen the, the you know the news reports from the the club executives themselves that they had no idea that this was happening until the morning it happened. And I, I wow. genuinely believe that from, from you know, the football club. Now, you've launched a, a crowdfunding scheme. Uh, how much are you hoping to raise and what's the money for? So um, we, we, raised, we launched a crowdfunding scheme initially um, to finish the season. So we, we're not under any misapprehension that we're going to be able to raise millions and sort of put a bid in for the club or anything like that. Um, the Finishing the season is the first key objective because, as you'll know with Berry, if you, you're unable to finish the season, you can be expelled from the league. So that's why we set it up initially. But we just had no idea that it was going to explode the way it has. And it currently stands at just over £150,000. So wow, our initial um, our initial donations to the administrators, which which essentially is the football club, uh, is going to travel for the players, uh, away costs such as accommodation, and then we're looking to um, look at the essential running costs of costs of the club over the next few weeks. So home game costs, uh, costs to keep the club shop running because that brings in an extra income, but of course, you know, all of this uh, is being done frugally and, and through our committee. We're, we're a supporters club and, you know, we have a committee of people that are working together to make sure this money goes to the right place. And, and presumably you're working with the administrators on this and you've struck up a relationship with them quite quickly, I assume. Uh, yes. Um, obviously, they're keen to work with us so that this these funds mean that uh, it's sort of damage limitation, I suppose. Um, if because we've raised these funds, there's it means that things can continue to work at the club and they don't go downhill very quickly. Uh, it means that they've been able to retain staff. Um, although obviously you'll have heard on Monday there were redundancies, which was just devastating yeah. news. We want to guard against any further redundancies whilst the process of finding a buyer uh, is is continuing. Um, but yeah, we 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 very very keen to continue to work with the administrators closely. It's the only way that we're going to, you know, save the, our club in its current form. So you've raised one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, which is brilliant, and indicates, I think, the goodwill of all people in in football uh, towards Wigan. What's the target? Well, um, the the current target is two hundred and fifty thousand, quarter of a million, and. Um, the, the reason for that is that we don't know how long this process is going to take. So you'll know that July the 21st is the deadline for bids to be put in with the administrators. But after that, um, we've got uh, possibly three or four weeks where um, 
sorry, my phone's ringing in the background. Have I spoiled all that? That's right. It's normally me, don't worry. <laughs> the ho- it's, the, it's the house phone. I'm just waiting for it to stop. I thought You've got a house phone? I thought my husband might pick it up, but you know what? It's... I don't think my house phone's rang since the 70s. That's no, a, no, sorry I, I, about that. It'll, it'll be somebody right. trying to sell me double glazing. I'm sorry about that. So, yeah, so your target is 250000 because this is open-ended. And like you say, the the, 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 the deadline for, is July the 21st. Yeah, so the deadline's July the 21st for bidders, but then it can take, you know, we're hoping two to three weeks. That's the sort of guideline to get through all the checks and, and do do sort of all the contract talks, et cetera, to get the, the sale through. And in that time, you know, there's still wages to be paid of the backroom staff that have been uh, retained. We've still got to continue uh, selling things through the club shop. There's still bills to be paid at the stadium. So the more that we can support that until the buyer is, is in situ, um, the less it means we have to sell our assets in terms of players. Now, in terms of potential bidders, Caroline, I spent a very happy day with your ex-owner, Dave Whelan, a few years ago. Uh, he broke his leg in a cup final. I don't know if you know that. I did know um, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is, is the Whelan family a, a possible solution to this? Have they indicated an interest in perhaps stepping back in? Um, as far as I am aware, they haven't uh, expressed an interest in stepping back in as the owner of the football club. Um on Wednesday, when it broke a week last Wednesday, you know, Dave Whelan's came out in the press and said he would do whatever he could to help. Um, right. But we haven't heard uh, from him since then. I mean, Dave Whelan's done fantastic things for the football club and the town. Um, and when he stepped stepped down and sold the club, you know, he's he's a he's in his 80s. You know, uh, Dave Whelan, and and we we were very grateful for everything that he had done. Um, but I think I do think now is the time for uh, somebody else to come in, possibly this consortium of local owners, um, and and that would be the best way forward for our club, really. Yeah, because you're a viable proposition as a club. I mean, you you're a borderline Premier League club anyway. The facilities are magnificent. You've got a good catchment area, so you should be an attractive opposite uh, proposition. I would have thought. Yeah, I do, I don't think um, anyone is. It's wrong to say we're not worried about finding a buyer. We think that buyers will come forward and 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 be really interested in in us as a business and a football club. I think the the concern is that the longer this situation goes on, you know, the more we will have to sell assets or, you know, uh, it, it will be it will damage the football club. So we want to limit that so that the new owner has a really good foundation to come in and get going again. And And one of the issues, of course, is that we've not touched on yet is this teetering on the brink of relegation, which we shouldn't be. We absolutely should not be. And the, the it may set a precedent, but the EFL should be suspending that points deduction so that that's not something that the the potential new owners have to worry about, that we might not be playing championship football uh, next season. I mean, if I was buying a football club and I didn't know which league they were going to be in once I bought them, that would be something that would worry me. Yeah, cool. And you've sent an open letter to the EFL asking for their response. Have you received an answer and what do you hope or expect them to say because at, at the very least I, I don't think there's a football fan I've spoken to or read about that doesn't think the 12 points should be suspended I know Jeff Stelling was very vocal about this on Sky and I think 
he spoke for most people. These, these these are not normal circumstances, so I don't think the normal rules should apply here. But I, I, I'm afraid. I suspect the EFL will think that. Have you heard back from them yet? Yeah, so I've had a stock response, um, basically that the chair will be in touch with me to arrange a conversation. Um, so that, you know, it is somewhat positive. But I know that Lisa Nandy, who's our local MP, She's making uh, more strides and has met with the EFL, with, along with Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester. Um, but, it, it, you know, this can't go on indefin- indefinitely and we're not going to stay quiet. I think the EFL almost think that, it, you know, it will go away. Maybe they're hoping that we will gain the 12-point buffer so that the issue will completely go away. But it, it, that's looking a little bit unlikely you know if we win every game then fantastic but they shouldn't be putting that pressure on uh on a, on a potential new buyer that 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 is my take on it you know somebody might be thinking should I put a bid in at this stage or you know is it going to go downhill for this club they're going to get relegated to league one and and I've got to come in and sort of rally the troops so that that's something that it's all interweaved and the EFL should act now to make sure that that's not part of part of anything going forward it, it this can't go away caroline because it it seems to me it's interesting that lisa nandy has been so involved keir starmer's getting involved I, I think this could finally be the straw that breaks the camel's back because football fans have have known for years about stuff like this we've been calling foul for years about people breezing in and buying our clubs and and breaking them basically and now it seems that politicians are finally noticing that something is wrong as well, so it, it might be that some some good comes out of this because it can't keep going on like this. Football clubs can't keep going through this year after year. The government is happy to intervene in all sorts of sectors, but it seems they won't step in to to help a club like this when they're clearly the victim of some kind of bizarre fraud. I mean, one of the things we're looking at uh, along, you know, along with Lisa and Andy is we are looking to launch a parliamentary petition. Now that's got to be something that the government are able to intervene uh, in. So we're hoping that that will come out this week and we will be asking all football supporters far and wide to sign that petition so that there's more pressure uh, on the government to step in and then basically force the EFL to do a full investigation and a full review of you know the circumstances surrounding this to avoid other clubs going through it in the future. Uh, Andy Burnham, who's the mayor of Greater Manchester, told us on the pod last week that football has to have an independent financial regulator. The EFL can no longer be the arbiter of who is fit and proper to take over a football club. I'm going to suggest Kieran Maguire as the independent financial regulator, but I'm guessing you agree 100% with Andy Burnham on that, do you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, we need that independent, uh, independent regulator and somebody who can... We know we now becoming more of a global financial issue football, uh, and and so we need somebody with the expertise to be able to step in and and look at these deals before they go through. Do you know, for, uh, Caroline? For once, I was I was so enjoying talking to somebody else on the pod that I forgot Kieran was actually still with us. So. I'm sure Kieran's got a couple of things to say, but before I let you go, what's your gut instinct as to how this will play out for Wigan Athletic, Caroline? Um, I, I do think we'll find a buyer. I do think we'll find a buyer. And um, my hope is that it is somebody with football 
Uh, and if possible, somebody with Wigan at their heart. Um, yeah. You know, we're, as you said, we're a viable uh, prospect going forward. Uh, and so somebody will come in. Um, I just think that the more we can raise through this crowdfunder, um, the more it means that our club will be intact and will be a really, really viable prospect for that new buyer. And Kieran, once again, it, it just shows it's the fans to the rescue, isn't it? I mean, this is why we get so upset about points deductions and fines because you, you're not fining, you're not punishing the individual that, that hurts, that's doing the hurt. You're you're finding the fans. You're punishing the fans who are the ones that come to the rescue. And we see this time after time, Kieran. And it can't continue, can it? Well, it it, it shouldn't continue. But the, the EFL and the Premier League will say, "Well, rules is rules," and and that's my main concern in respect of this. Um, uh, I, I th- thanks for the hospital pass in terms of the regulator's job. I, I think <laughs> I, I think it might be well beyond my capabilities. Um, well, you, wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to fit it in for a start off, would you? Between <laughs> your Radio Grimsby and your this morning press commitments. Um, but but the 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 idea of on the field punishment for off the field shenanigans is is inconsistent. Um, so what what we have seen in the case of Wigan. Um, has been a change of ownership and, and a total lack of logic going into some of the decisions. There is no way that anybody would buy a business for £15 million, sell it 18 months later for £41 million in the middle of the biggest economic hit for 80 years mm. um, and and just say, well, yeah, that, that's business. Uh, and certainly looking at some of the comments which have been coming out from Troy Stanley, um, who is the, the guy associated with, with IEC, he was saying, well, I still love the club. Yeah, don't, don't give us that BS. You know, it's, that, this is utter nonsense. Um, it's all to do with uh, IEC wanting to attach a casino to a hotel in the Philippines. It's got nothing to do with football, these decisions. Uh, and um, it, it's really sad that, that w- Wigan Athletic and their fans, but most importantly, I would say, yeah, the 70 people who have lost their jobs. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, it's, not, it's not the players. You know, you, clearly, we, you know, the players will have concerns, but it's the backroom staff, the people who, who won't have the ability to move on to another club that I feel the most sorry for at present. Um, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And, and for the EFL to come out with comments like, oh, oh we feel that O Young has di- disrespected the EFL. This is not about the EFL. This, this is about Wigan Athletic being part of the community, being part of the identity of the local area. Um, and it, it, it is very, very frustrating. Just one quick thing, Caroline. Um, if, if other fans want to help, how, how can they go about this? Because I know um, there was something about uh, get, getting your picture on, a, on your own club shirt, and that will be shown at the DW. Uh, I know I signed up for that yesterday in a Brighton shirt, which, which you probably won't notice because it's blue and white stripes. Um, but are there, are there other ways as well of, of fans being able to contribute towards, the, uh, you know, towards helping the, the club pay these ongoing costs? Uh, because you know, I, I want to be able to go to Wigan again, and uh, you know that—that's the same. I, I would say for for nearly all fans in football. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you suggested, uh, Kieran, you can buy a cutout at the at the DW Stadium for the final games. Um, we've got a game on Tuesday, and we've got uh, the Fulham game, the final game, home game of the season. And so, you, what we want is a sea of solidarity for football 
in that stand. Um, you know, so you can uh, take a photograph of yourself in your own shirt. Uh, it's twenty pounds for a cutout, and all the proceeds go to uh, directly to Wigan Athletic uh, or our crowdfunder. It's crowdfunder.co.uk. Uh, and that is uh, all those proceeds will go to the runnings of the club uh, to keep the club going until an owner is found. So, you know, we would urge any football fan or friend of Wigan Athletic or anyone who's ever uh, visited us to get on there and donate. No matter how small, every little bit helps. Caroline, I'm sorry that this had to end in a blue and white stripe loving. Um, <laughs> if you want a, a decent red and blue kit, Behind you, how how do you get involved in doing that twenty pound shirt thing? So if you go to Wigan um, Wigan Athletic official website, uh, you can buy a cutout directly through the website. So uh, you click on the cutout section and you just literally upload a photo from your phone. Uh, pay twenty pounds and they will print the cutout for you, and you get to keep it at the end of the season. They'll post it to you. Oh, great. Will they, if I pay £40, will they send me Kieran's? <laughs> it's been fantastic. <laughs> We've had, um, you know, uh, people reunited with their loved ones sat in the stadium that, you know, have passed away. Oh, wow. We've had, you know, it's been absolutely fantastic to see. We've had uh, cutouts of, you know, uh, people who, who founded Wigan Athletic and got us into the league in 1978. And, you know, it's, it's been brilliant. Caroline, we wish we wish you all the best, uh, as does every football fan. Uh, I've got no doubt that with the, the rate you're going, you'll raise that money. And perhaps we can talk to you again when you get that response from the EFL uh, and you can tell us what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Okay, Kieran, uh, it was good to hear from Caroline. It turned into a longer session than I thought, but more upbeat as well than I thought she possibly would be. I mean, the, the optimistic note at the end is very, very good to hear. Yes, and I think you've also got to give credit to everybody connected with the club. Yeah, that they're not feeling sorry for themselves. Um, they've been put into this problem uh, by other parties, and uh, they've had relatively little support. So they've just you know rolled up their sleeves. The, the money they've raised to date is is superb, and, and you know I, I would encourage everybody to. Uh, you know, get get their photograph on a shirt and, and get it down to the DW for these last couple of home games. Yeah, it's nice to hear that you've got your picture up there, Kieran. And with anybody else next to you? Um, no, no. Um, I, I didn't want to narrow down the field of people who want to be photographed next to me, uh, including you know, especially with some of my family. Some of my family, the only time they've been photographed has been on uh, on wanted photographs. So. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a new one for for the Maguire clan. Yeah, there's a lot of photographs of your family looking both ways, isn't there? Um, uh, now, this first question, Kieran, actually had me in a philosophical quandary when I first read it. Uh, it's from Michael Niche, uh, and Michael says, "Do you think it's morally right for club owners to be accepting and requesting donations from fans to keep clubs afloat during the COVID situation?" Uh, and his personal gripe, Michael's personal gripe, is how football classes itself as a business. But when it suits owners, they say it's much more than a, a business. And to be fair, we sometimes say that, don't we? That it's, it's football's much more than a business. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I've swung both ways on this particular uh, <laughs> question. Really? <laughs> Not for the first time, but that's another story. Um, uh Football is a business, but it's a loss-making business. So um, under normal circumstances, 
um, you know, loss making businesses get get closed down. And what we have seen from the vast majority of owners, um, as we'll probably see as we go through today's questions, is that an awful lot of them are have historically stuck their hands in the pockets and kept the clubs afloat. Um, but there is an element of double standards there because if, if they, they they can afford to do so in the vast majority of instances and you know many fans at present are going through um, economic stresses themselves with job losses, with furlough and, and so on. And there is sort of a there's a slightly insidious uh, inference from some of the emails that have been sent out to fans from club owners, um, in the sense of yeah, well, if, if you don't uh, if you don't forego your season ticket refund, you know the club could go under. Hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, and yet, you know, I happen to know that some of those are emails from club owners who you know are are ridiculously uh, in ridiculous numbers of zeros after their names. Though that they're trying to sell the club at present and make a profit on the deal, mm. so um, if if fans if, if owners want fans to invest financially by giving effectively subsidies, um, then surely those owners should give more back in terms of openness, transparency, and scrutiny. And what I've seen over the course of the past couple of weeks from some clubs in respect of that has been you know the big flat zero. It's it's a business. Uh, and we're the business experts, so so you as fans, you you can bog off because uh, you know we'll just patronise you with re- regards to that. You wouldn't understand the numbers anyway. Uh, yeah. you know, we're football fans; we're not idiots, um, and, and that's one thing which, which does uh, does does really grind my gears. Mm. Um, now, our next question is from Leo in China. Now, I don't know why, uh, at my age, in a time when the world is getting smaller. I still get so excited when we get questions from abroad. It just, I just—it's like when you're a kid, you get a, a letter with a foreign stamp on it. It's fantastic. Um, now, Leo says, um, "There's a helicopter going over." Can you hear that? That's the sound of South London, Kieran. <laughs> it's a circling helicopter as well. Most helicopters around where I live tend to be circular. They um, probably think I'm there. No, well, I imagine you're the only time you hear a helicopter is when your Ricardo delivery is being dropped off, but there you go. Um, uh, Leo finds that staff headcounts displayed in annual reports vary among Premier League clubs. That's uh, good research, Leo. For example, says Leo, if we look at the big six old money clubs, that's his words, like Man United and Liverpool, they have 940 and 853 employees, respectively, while new money clubs like Man City and Chelsea only have 463 and 409. All of those numbers seem quite large to me in terms of employees of a football club. But any reason why clubs like Man City and Chelsea would have roughly half the staff of, of Man United and Liverpool? Well, I think what you find in the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City is that they do an awful lot of outsourcing of activities so therefore, there are people actually doing these roles, but they are being employed by third parties. Um, also, in the case of Manchester City, as you as you as you're aware, there's also something called City Football Group, yeah. which which is sort of the the mothership which owns Manchester City, New York City, Melbourne City, the clubs in Mumbai and, and China and Japan and Uruguay and God knows where else. Um, and uh, so, therefore, some of the jobs are effectively operated by the City Football Group, and they appear in their accounts. So, trying to get a a, a, a true comparative, I, I think, is almost impossible. Um, but looking at these numbers, this is something that I think many fans 
don't necessarily uh, f- familiarise themselves with is that footballs are mini industry. You know, I know a few years ago, Manchester United was the biggest private sector employer in the city of Manchester. So it's it's uh, it's not just uh, you know it's not just the the eighteen guys that turn out for a squad and a few coaches and people uh, putting out the cones. It's far more than that. Um, and therefore, we need to be a little bit cautious when when we are slagging off clubs because they are massive employers and they are providing a huge amount of, of benefits to the local economy. And of course, that's just directly. And, and then there's the all the indirect benefits on, on top of that as well. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in Notion? You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, talking of Man City, obviously, because I won't get up at six o'clock in the morning to record this on the Monday morning, we're recording it on Sunday night. Uh, we're expecting the Man City decision today about their participation in the Champions League or not. Any gossip, any gut instinct, any rumour? Um, all I know is that my diary for Monday is full already. <laughs> <laughs> I've got various uh, various interviews lined up where I'll just uh, try to do the best I can. Um, yeah. All I know is that both parties are extremely confident of a positive outcome for the, for themselves, oh, yeah. um, and uh, I, I would I would love to find out the the le- the total legal bill. I think Manchester City have got four to six legal firms working on behalf of their case, and uh, I, I can't I can't believe that these guys will be doing it on a pro bono basis. So so the total cost to City will be huge. Equally. Um, UEFA uh, for them this is very much a test case if this goes the way of Manchester City to a certain extent uh, financial fair play rules or profitability and sustainability rules as we now call them here in the UK will be in tatters so UEFA's reputation's on the line uh, and Manchester City's future if if Manchester City get a two-year ban it's going to cost them somewhere between 200 and 250 million pounds in terms of lost earnings Wow. And even for a club like City, that's a big whack, isn't it? Um, Our next question is from Jerry Brady. uh, And Jerry very helpfully introduces the question by saying, uh, prepare to fall asleep during this one, Kev. 
Um, but I wonder if you know what impact business interruption insurance is having on clubs. How many clubs have it? And does it cover the current COVID situation? Well, um, here, my view of this is what we have, what I'd refer to as a premiums paradox. The clubs that most need business interruptions insurance are the ones who can least afford it because they are closest to the breadline. And because the premiums are high, they probably haven't uh, haven't paid for it. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, business interruption insurance, um, this is a way of paying out for the lost revenue if matches are unable to take place. Um, whether or not it's going to pay out in, in the case of the pandemic will come down to different insurers and, and the extent to which they have exclusion clauses. As for the number of clubs involved, um, this this is uh, where we get the uh, we don't discuss matters of that nature, especially with two idiots like you, uh, has been the response I've had from doing some uh, discreet inquiries. Uh, but I know a few do have it, and, and I think the, they, they've been quite happy with the response from their insurers to date. Okay. Um, if there isn't a Doctor Who episode called The Premium's Paradox, I want to know why, because I would, I would watch that one. Now, our next question comes from uh, Robbie Bailey. Uh, there's a bit of a preamble to this question, uh, Kieran, because Robbie wanted to introduce himself a little. Robbie says, I'm 23 and recently qualified as a chartered accountant. My goal is to work in football finance. And Kieran is something of a god in my world. Uh, <laughs> uh, in brackets, yes, really, Kevin. I don't have a problem with that, Kieran. I understand you're a, a, a god in the world of accounting. I just think it would be nice every now and again to hear from a young comedian with a football finance question who says the same thing about me. But there you go. Um, uh, God, I just... Yeah, the Pope got very upset when people referred to Messi as God. But they, if he hears that you're being referred to as God as well... <laughs> My God, your, your mother's will be crossing herself like be like a windmill in your mother's house. Now, uh, Robbie's also a Derby fan, and Robbie's question is whether Mel Morris's recent change of, of strategy, basically, towards developing young players for future sale, for future sale um, easy for me to say, whether Mel Morris's recent change towards developing young players for future sale is sustainable over the long term. And have any clubs achieved promotion to the Premier League using this strategy rather than the tried and tested buying experienced players to get them into the Premier League? So take it away, God. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, my mum will be delighted on this. But first of all, uh, congratulations, Robbie, to uh, to qualifying because um, I uh, I know just how difficult those exams are, uh, partly due to the fact that I might be involved in writing them. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, it, it's uh, to, to have done that at the age of twenty. The other piece of advice I'd give him: never tell anybody at a party that you're a chartered accountant, uh, because uh, it, you know one of two things will happen: uh, either they'll walk to the other side of the room, or they'll ask you to, uh, to do their VAT return. Either way, you're going home alone. So, well, um, Kieran, I think it's rather disingenuous of you to say that. What with with all the stories that you've told us on this pod over the past few months, at some stage, the information that you're a chartered accountant must have been offered up. Are you yeah, saying... That was, that, was, that was after. That was always <laughs> after. That was, that was what I'm trying to get rid. <laughs> oh, what a world. The world. I had no idea the world of chartered accountancy was like this. The next time I see Bobby Numbers, I'm going to be looking at him with, with much, <laughs> much more respect. Anyway, the question. Mel Morris. So, yeah, back, back, back to the question. Um, has a club been uh, promoted using such a strategy? Well, we could be about to see one, in my view, because Brentford are currently third 
yeah, in, Graham, in the uh, championship. Yeah. They are playing superb football, uh, and their strategy is an interesting one, uh, which is slightly different to Derby's because Brentford don't have an academy, but what they do have uh, as an alternative to that is a B team, and they pick up all of the, the 17 to 19-year-olds that have been discarded by other clubs in London, and they give an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to show their abilities. Um, and what we've seen Brentford do is because you know Brentford's a great club, uh, love it to bits. Always a great away trip if if you are an away fan. Um, but their their match day income is is very low by by Championship standards. So what they've done is to use this development strategy. Um, they've they've made a profit of around about seventy million pounds over the course of the last four years, and that's before last summer's window. And, and they've sold a few players there, so that they do seem to have this development strategy. My only concern for it is that in the um, in the post pandemic world, the transfer market is likely to take a hit. So whether they'll be able to get the same values for players as they have done in the last few years. Um, I, I think uh, will be challenging. But there certainly have been other clubs who have been promoted on the back of a low spend. We've seen it happen, happen with Huddersfield. They, they they tapped into the loan market. Burnley did it the opposite approach. They, they, they tried to sign experienced players to get themselves up. And of course, Sheffield United have just been promoted with a very low spend as well. So certainly we are seeing clubs think twice about this, this historic sort of casino style of football ownership, whereby you just go and uh, you know spend a load of money on players with, with a view to getting up. And if that doesn't work, you do it again and do it again until eventually you, be, you come up against the financial fair, fair play limit, in which mm. case you abandon ship. I think, and even more importantly in that is that Sheffield United have stayed up with a, a, a relatively low transfer spend as well, haven't they? But they have, and, and of course, yes, they, they absolutely dicked uh, Chelsea. Uh, you know, and, and they 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 are a superb example of what can be achieved by having a strong dressing room, um, and that's something. Uh, I think one of our when we had uh, Darren Robinson. Um, on the show, who was who was the uh, was the the scout? He was, you know, he told us football ability isn't the most important thing to football success. It's getting that right dynamic in the dressing room because that gets more out of players. Yeah, and the other side of that as well is that Norwich, um, who we saw relegated uh, yesterday or two days ago, when you're listening to this, that their starting lineup against West Ham, nine of the first eleven on the pitch started their last game in the championship. So. You know, it 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 didn't that approach didn't work for them. And also, it's interesting the the question about Derby um, from our uh, young Robbie Bailey, and and I, of course, I had my own congratulations to Robbie for passing those extremely hard exams. Is that my my first indication when I I read the question is Wayne Rooney, but then you look at the rest of the squad, and I think one game last week they had eight players on the pitch at the end that came through their academy at Derby. So it's quite a big change, and it'd be interesting to see how that pays off. Brentford, I think most fans would love to see Brentford in the Premier League with their new ground. I think that'd be, I think they've only ever had one season in the top flight, so that'd be great. Unfortunately, the new ground is not going to have a pub on every corner, but there you go. Um, now, uh, Gary O'Neill has asked us this question. Oh, sorry, beg your pardon, Stuart Barney at first. I'm, I'm, uh, Gary's all excited now. Gary knows his question's coming up, but he's got to wait for this next one. Um, a better presenter would have just asked Gary's question and then pretended that Gary, Stuart Barnett's question was afterwards, but I'm tired. Um, Stuart Barnett says, Kieran, 
He's a Leeds fan. He says, with Leeds on the brink of promotion, hopefully, uh, we have a few transfers to pay with some loans being made permanent uh, and we will have some stadium improvements to meet Premier League standards. But will there be any hidden costs to pay to ex-owners, for example, Dubai-based GFH, who still seem to have some sort of hold on the club? And before we answer that question, I think some people may not know how much it actually costs to get your ground Premier League ready. People will be saying, well, Ellen Road's a, a brilliant ground, but the Premier League have, have have very high standards. For example, broadcasting cables have to be much better quality. The the catering facilities have to be Premier League quality. The the press rooms have to be Premier League quality. So I think, I think it cost Palace about three million quid in the close season when we were promoted. So it, those those improvements are quite expensive, aren't they? But very much so, and also because the Premier League is wants it seen, it's, itself to be seen on HD or 4K televisions, you've got to upgrade the floodlights. So realistically, I think Leeds will be looking at between five to ten million on that. Um, you also have to upgrade the perimeter advertising areas and things of this nature. But remember, you, you are going from having a TV deal of seven million pounds to a hundred million, so yeah. the money will be coming in. Um, I went into the small print of Leeds accounts, and, and as, as you know, that, that does get me a little bit giddy. Um, and uh, as far as I could make out, in terms of uh, the relationship with, with the former owners, the only thing I could find out was um, a loan of around about £4 million. Now, it could be that that loan becomes instantly repayable upon promotion. So that's something to be aware of, but that's that's uh, that's bearable. Um Leeds will have to pay transfer uh, top-ups or add-ons of £5 million, um, to other clubs uh, should they be promoted. But I think the big one, um, and, and this did take me a little bit back because this is probably more than we see at most clubs, is that according to Leeds accounts, if they are promoted, um, the, the bonus pool for staff, uh, which I presume is mainly going to be players and management, is a whopping nineteen million pounds. So you know that that money will effectively come out of next year's income from the Premier League. You know, barring a miracle, um, uh, you know, Leeds are up and deservedly so. I mean, I, I saw them play uh, against Stoke on Thursday night, and, and they were you know they were streets ahead, yeah. um, and and they have been superb under Bielsa this season. So. Yes, there will be costs. Um, you know, realistically, what are we talking about? You know, thirty to thirty-five million pounds. Um, so, yeah, around about a third of the money from the Premier League um, is perhaps going to go. So that should still leave them in a very strong position in terms of going into the transfer market um, and being able to recruit this summer. All right. So, two more club-specific questions. Uh, Gary O'Neill already knows what club it's going to be because he's been waiting. Uh, anxiously or excitedly. Um, I've preceded Gary's question a little bit, but essentially what Gary wants to know is, are Preston North End capable of getting into the Premier League on Trevor Hemming's minimum investment model? Right. I mean, Trevor Hemmings, uh, who is the the Preston owner, he he does seem to get a bit of grief from from Preston fans. Um, Over the past, God knows how many years, he's stuck in six to seven million pounds a year and and if fans are turning around and say well, well that's not enough mm. you know my gut reaction it, it, it's probably six to seven million pounds more than I could afford to put into a football club each year um in sorry, terms just, of where sorry that's six to seven not 67 isn't it no no it's at six six yeah but around about six or seven million a year um so he, he's, he's he's in for a you know the thick end of 50 million quid over the years um 
if, if you take a look at Preston, according to my sums, and I appreciate that they are they are imperfect, Preston are paying an average wage of around about £9,000 a week. That compares to the average in the championship of 16. So clearly, you know, that they are bottom bottom quartile. They've got the seventh lowest wage bill in the championship. But Sheffield United got promoted last year on the sixth lowest. Mm. Brentford have the fourth lowest, and they're currently third. Uh, Millwall are just outside the playoffs. They've got the third lowest. So it, it is it is possible. Um, I think it's, it's Alex Neil, the manager. Yeah, he's done a yeah. decent job. They're, they're not that far away themselves. So I, I think they they are in with a, with a good shout um, in, in terms of the approach taken. Uh, you know, it, it's not for me to say how, how much Trevor Hemmings should put in, but he has been a, a pretty generous benefactor of the club to date. It's it's been so long since I heard you say quartile. I'm I'm, I'm actually getting quite emotional. Um, Rob Wood is uh, not far down the road from Gary O'Neill. Uh, Rob is a Blackburn fan. Um, but Rob starts optimistically and says we seem to have stabilised over the past few seasons, but uh, then goes downhill a little bit into pessimism. How much trouble are we still in financially, Blackburn Rovers? Well, the, the issue with Blackburn, and, and I think Blackburn fans have had a sort of a change of heart with regards to the owners, the Venkies. Um, yeah, the Venkies have put in around about £180 million pounds into, uh, into Blackburn, which, which, uh, and, and they've not, not really had a lot back. Um, and trying to work out their logic because you know their their main business is uh, chicken production in India uh, yeah. is, is one of these you know weird things which we can never quite work out. Um, I, I've spoken to one or two people who've been connected with Blackburn, and, and they've said um, you know every, every time they phone up the Venkies for a check to either pay the wages or to invest in a player, um, they've tended to have a very positive response. Uh, you know, are there similar clubs in the championship? And again, this sort of is sort of an overlap with quite a few of the questions we've seen today. There are a lot of very generous owners in the um, in in the championship. To a certain extent, they can afford to be generous because you know they have wealth of unimaginative ways, unimaginative levels compared to us. But if you look at Stoke, they've got the Coates family and Bet365 subsidising them. We've got Steve Lansdowne, who's part of Hargreaves Lansdowne, a very successful financial services company at Bristol City. Steve Gibson at Mid- Middlesbrough. Uh, we've already mentioned Mel at Derby. Oh, Mel, Mel Morris has been very generous. And you've got Delphon Chancery at Sheffield Wednesday. Again, you know, all of these people have stuck their money where their mouth is. Um, and they've not had a return to date in, in terms of promotion. If if they if any of those or all of those turn the tap off taps off, I really would fear for the the ability of clubs in the championship to uh, to continue. It's every time you mention the Venkies, I still have to remind myself that they're still Blackburn's owners because I'm amazed they didn't bail out long ago or weren't forced out because when they they first arrived it it appeared to be like a basket case there didn't it at Blackburn yes yeah I mean you know uh that they they famously in terms of their due diligence when they acquired Blackburn Rovers they were still a Premier League club and they hadn't realized that clubs could be relegated so you know and therefore they were anticipating 100 million pounds a year coming in from TV and clearly that stopped very very quickly but to, to give them credit, they, they've carried on 
uh, writing out those checks literally on a weekly basis in order to get the bills paid. Um, and you know, I think Blackburn fans have had a sea change in terms of the, the relationship. You know, there was a lot of blame directed towards the Venkies for on-field matters, uh, but off-field, they, they've proven to be uh, very generous. Yeah. Now, our final question, Kieran, comes from Mark Ridley. Um, I love this question. Uh, I love all the questions we get, Kieran. You know that. I'd, I wouldn't like to go Sophie's Choice on any of them, really, but uh, they're all. I'm very fond of all our questions, but this one in particular I like because it just shows that despite the fact that we've been doing this for nine months and we've had hundreds of brilliant questions, there are still things out there that we haven't considered. And also, it kind of crosses into my world a little bit. And Mark Ridley's question is, is simple. Are football clubs required to pay royalties for the music they play within the stadium before, during and after games. Now, um, Brighton won't be because you're surely the dreariest song in football, Sussex by the Sea, is out of copyright around about 1725, I guess. But, yeah, will Palace still be paying the Dave Clark Five and their their, their agents money for the best football song ever? It's 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 a really good question. I, I, I live quite near the performing rights uh, site offices in, in Streatham. Uh, which is headed by Fergal Sharkey. So every now and again, I'll be walking along Streatham High Road and out from the PRS will come Fergal Sharkey for a sandwich. And it, uh, it, it, it reminds me, you know, the, the music industry is usually very precious about collecting money when you use their song. So this is a great question. Yes, uh, and I've got to say, as a, as a huge fan of the undertones, uh, if you could get me his autograph, I'll be absolutely made up. Uh, yeah. One of the greatest bands of all time, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely love them to bits. Got every single record they ever brought out. Um, the, the PRS and uh, PPL are the two organisations that do collect uh, money. So certainly the Dave Clark Five will be paid every time uh, Palace come out. Um, now, the way that royalties are determined, um, I, I did some background on this, and it is based on a formula. So it's linked to the size of the stadium, the number of events taking place, um, uh, over the course of the year and the length of time that uh, music will be played or the length of time of the event. So you, you plug that into a formula. So I, I did that for Palace, and I think it came out at a figure of around about 35 to 40K a year um, would be the cost. Okay. So it's, it's for, a, for a Premier League club, it's not, it's not significant. I think if you drop through the divisions, it, it perhaps becomes a little bit more uh, tr- problematic for, for the clubs in the lower leagues. Um, but, uh, you, know, the, you know, artists... Artists are entitled to, uh, you know, remuneration for their for their artistry. So, you know, they should be paid, and fair play for the PRS for for ensuring that this is collected from clubs. Yeah, do you know what? I wish I wish a few more clubs would do what the Liverpool PA announcer does. He he, he sometimes gets stick for uh, for being loud. God forbid. Uh, sometimes you can hear his voice. There's a chap called George Sefton. Uh, who made his debut as the PA announcer at uh, Liverpool the same day Kevin Keegan did. And quite a few Liverpool bands, Teardrop Explodes, Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, and some more of the generations below ours, Kieran, uh, had their first break by George Sefton playing their, their either their first single or a demo before a game. I think that's a great thing to do. I'd, I'd love to see more clubs helping local artists by you know throwing a couple of their hits along with Ed Sheeran and whatever song the, the, your team comes out to. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. And again, it would 
help to tighten those bonds between between community and club. Um, I, I think that's just, it's a campaign we should either start or get behind. Well, let's start it and then get behind it. Uh, and then, as normal, after about two weeks, I'll forget that we even started it, and you and Go be really enthusiastic, and I'll go, all right then. Um, one piece of advice, Kieran, as you, you may know, this, it's always a way you can tell the new producers when you work on a TV show. Is if you're doing a TV show and uh, uh, a new producer will come in and say, it's the presenter's birthday, you're in the show. let's get everyone to sing happy birthday, and the colour will drain from the face of the old producer, because one way of bankrupting yourself very quickly is to sing happy birthday, because the people... That it was written by somebody a long a hundred odd years ago, maybe more, and they very cannily retained the rights to that. So, um, as my advice to you, Kim, don't sing Happy Birthday or any of those TV shows you're doing to talk about the Man City decision. Don't spontaneously burst into Happy Birthday because it's going to cost you a fortune. It, and and uh, it is the the song with the highest royalties in the history of music. Yes, I'm not sure what the figure is, but it's it's, it's an astonishing amount of money. And they they have a team of people who basically watch and listen to everything. And the, the minute you say happy with a tune, I nearly did it myself then. If I, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll have somebody listen to this pod, Kieran. They've got people everywhere. Um, uh, thanks again for your company, Kieran. Uh, have a rest now before you get involved in your uh, Man City shenanigans tomorrow. I, one day I, I want you to take a picture of the Baroness's wall chart where she keeps track of where, because she must watch the the financial football news with as much interest as you do, just so she knows. She'll go, can I go out with Kieran for lunch on Monday? Oh, no, it's the Man City decision. Um, so do, uh, if you have questions for us, uh, please get in touch at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back with you on Thursday when I imagine that our headline story, Kieran, will be that Man City decision. Uh, until then, have a good weekend of football and we'll see you soon. Stay safe, boys and girls. The price of football. I'm for the ball.